Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul, uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here.
Yeah, I mean, a couple of the points that she was talking about that stuck stuck out to me that I'm interested in is is when she said she was one of six women in a class of 300 graduating from architecture school and she's only a generation ahead of me or not even I think she might be in her early 70s and I'm she's about 15 years older than I am <clears throat> and uh it just put a big huge difference at me because when I by the time I was in school and then 20 years later um in graduate school it was 50 50 and I mean I know there's still issues but it wasn't like then you know so to me it's interesting hearing about women who were kind of pioneering in that way and she was the first woman-owned company and you know, it's pretty interesting. And also, I think it's lovely that she's had this 50-year partnership with her husband. Um, so it's kind of like an architectural love story in a way and seeing them kind of grow up. A lot of, for me, a lot of my friends married architects who are architects. I married an architect. So, and we're all getting older. So I've been thinking a lot lately about how uh, seeing pictures of my old friends and now they look old and just growing old with somebody and having that really intertwined life. This is kind of interesting how they make that work with their kids also being in the in their company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it would. And, and another important piece that she talked about was her work 
around sustainability, which wasn't called sustainability back then, but just saying the climate change window was supposed to be 30 years, it's 10 years past that date and still what's going on. So that's another important, um, I think it's an important aspect to her careers, it seems like for sure, but important topic. I also thought it was a sad moment that she talked about with her son, Gray, wanting her to be his mom and not his boss. And well, at least he still wanted her to be his mom. That's something. Yeah. so this child uh do the math he's now 42 a uh, gray doggerty surprise is an architect he went to princeton university thought that going on to you know to the world of of money and and wall street was the way to go and got his job six months before graduation we thought oh we're done with that one well uh a few months into that he called us and said i can't spend the rest of my life doing this and took a little bit of, of a break and came back to us and said i think i want to go back to school in architecture and I told Brian, you could have knocked me over with a feather. I really did not see that happening because he was going to go out. And, first, he was going to save the world. Then he was going to make a gazillion dollars. And then he chose to be an architect. So imagine all of those, you know, nights talking about architecture over dinner probably had some sort of a subliminal influence on him. But we'd bring work home and spread it out on the dining room table. And he'd grab a magic marker and start coloring it up for us, you know, and we knew he was visual spatial and he was building 3D puzzles and doing all that business. So it was no surprise that that was his passion and that it would come easily to him. And he's a force. I mean, literally, uh, if he's watching this, hey, Gray. Uh, and, and he started our Oakland studio. Uh, and then after a few years came to us one day and he looked me in the eye and said, Mom, Every time we get together, all we do is talk about business. I want you to be my mom again. Oh, my God. How do you say no to that? Yeah, I, another moment that popped out at me as being how kind of illustrating how ridiculous um, we can be about as architects in terms of boundaries between us. That she said she was on her way to get a C-section. The way I understood it, she went and turned in the permit set and then went and had her C-section. Like right, I think I don't think she turned it in after her C-section. Now that would be even more 
more like I can relate to that just because we of course we're going to do that but working up until the moment where you give birth to a human which is a huge deal it seems like oh that's just what we have to do because we don't we don't have any time you know I don't know if I'm explaining that very well but It reminded me that when I had my third child, I had my laptop with me at the hospital. So when she was sleeping and I was still in there, I could still send emails and do other things. And what is wrong with me? That would have been a good day to rest. It's just integrated. It's not balanced, I'd say. It sounded like, too, that they did a lot of talking about their business while they were at home because she'd said that maybe that influenced the kids. And so, I mean, of course they would, but um, I've heard of some people keeping work at work. I don't know. I haven't experienced that myself. It's harder when you actually work at home to keep work at work because you're kind of at work in a way but anyway it's just it is i i used to think about it as this steak that was marbled with fat so that the fat being work and you couldn't separate them they were just part of the same i guess that would be integrated anyway that's the way i used to think about being with my children and taking care of them and working in the car when they were in class and killing the battery doing that which was pretty frequent you know there are downsides to working in the car but that's just the way life was so that I got to do what I needed to do. Mm-hmm.
Yeah, it was very relatable to me. Kids love to draw on the on the blueprints or the printouts. They would not blueprints anymore. But they, yeah, scribbles around. My kids had a different. Well, my kids aren't fully grown. I mean, I guess they're not. They could still become architects. I can't imagine that they would. But I think in my case, they had the opposite reaction that they thought kids were a pain. They weren't going to have kids because kids got in the way of what you needed to do. So unfortunately, I don't think I did the great job with that. I'd have them sometimes in a, um, like in the minivan when I was inside checking on some dimensions or something like that. And I don't think my clients were that impressed either, but I was homeschooling them and they were too young to stay at home. So yeah, it was, uh, it wasn't ideal. They still talk to me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good. It's a step in the right direction, but I don't think they want to be architects. I don't think they've seen that that was something they want to do.
<laughs> yeah. One day, we get a call from the same guy who had been our consultant from the Cox Group who uh, called Brian on a Friday and said, you know, Brian, uh, I'm walking down the street here on Fifth Avenue in New York City, and there's somebody I want you to call. And that was Brad Perkins. And he said, his name is Brad Perkins. He owns Perkins Eastman Architects in New York City. He's on his way back from a meeting right now in China. He'll be stopping in Southern California tomorrow <laughs> with the head of the K-12 practice area studio coming from a meeting, joining a leader of the LA office because they had already merged with another firm that had an LA and San Francisco office. And that was LBL, which represented medical work and senior living. And so we were K-12 higher education and community. So together we would each bring something different. He said, I'd, I'd like you to meet them. And we had had these been entertaining these other things. So it wasn't out of left field. And uh, so we said, sure. Yeah. Yeah, and they also hired a consultant to determine how they were going to wind down their firm when they retired, right? So that seems like a good idea, too. I think I've talked about this a lot with my friends, and we as architects think we can do everything ourselves for some reason. Even though we want people to respect our professional um, abilities, we do our own accounting and lawyering, whatever. 
So, um, so they hired these consultants to help them figure out what they should do. And that's where, uh, the contact kind of came from. It's like a matchmaker situation, right? So helping, hiring people for their expertise when you're trying to decide how to move to the next step makes total sense. And that's something I've taken away from this story. Yeah, it is like marketers, bookkeepers, all these other things we could hire, website designers. Yep. Right. That's a huge part of what she does, yeah. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. 
you got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's, it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? (laughs) We did it, guys. One that came out of nowhere. It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.